Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's episode is about sharing responsibility between IT and end users in regard to endpoint security. I started in security when it was just endpoint antivirus and some firewalls, but endpoint security has evolved into a much more capable and much more complex issue. So to help us simplify this, we've invited Infoblox CIO Brad Bell and CISO Ed Hunter. Gentlemen, thank you for joining. Hi, Bob. Thanks for the invite. Hi there. Thanks for having us. Now, we're in October, which is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Um, now, this is typically focused on end user awareness, and it started as a consumer thing, but it's now also you know, applicable on uh, you know, the awareness training necessary to help uh, users on an agency or corporate network. So I wanted to start with my uh, asking about what's the capacity of users today for learning? Because when I got into this, um, a lot of the users, they were still trying to figure out how to set the time on their VCRs, uh, which some of our ancient you know, video recording systems for young listeners, you can look it up and Google it. But today's average user, they've got smartphones and other devices, and a lot of them take pride in you know, knowing every capability of their device. So where are users today? How capable are they of being an actual security value? Well, great, great question, Bob. Um, I, I think, first of all, are they capable of learning? You bet you. Um, I, I think where it gets a little more tricky is, do users understand the potential impact of, of what the security um, uh, breach might look like or, or impact them in a, in a way that's negative? I, I don't think they understand the risk or the impact. And so while they can learn, they may not be able to determine what action to take as a result of those two vectors. Um, I, I think it's it's really um, imperative, as we do in, in most corporate environments, uh, to create an, a continued learning environment uh, where people have an opportunity to understand what these vectors look like and what the remediation efforts look like. You know, and in, in our company and many, we do we do things like um, phishing programs, and we can continually look at the data and the return information on those phishing programs to understand if there's uptake. Uh, on managing that risk and exposure company-wide. And then we can change our either our uh, training around that, uh, increase the frequency or depth of that training, uh, put more rigor in place or more controls in place. So, you know, short answer is yes, people are, are engaged and, and want to learn, I think, uh, at least in the corporate environment. In the, uh, in the commercial or social environment, it's a little bit different. I do think there's a, a, um, there's, there's a bit of a bifurcation in understanding uh, what happens when you click a button or what happens when you answer a quiz on, on any social platform and those kinds mm -hmm. of things and what it's going to impact is. Okay. Ed, any, any thoughts on your experience? Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah. Email is just one, uh, one potential vector. Um, you see that as a, as a, as a primary vector to get an initial foothold. So it's up to the user to really be the first line of defense and, and just, uh, really take a look at uh, all those offers that come in your email. Um, now I am is, is starting to become a, a very uh, uh, active way of trying to solicit a response as well. So it's, it's really up to the user to, to be that first line. We can implement all these technical measures on the back end and uh, you know, they could be 99% or 99.9% .9 effective, but there's always the first line, right? 
email still comes in from the internet and it's up to the user to look at that email and kind of evaluate whether or not that's the right thing, what the right thing to do is. I wanted to follow up on that. So now we, we talk about how the capable they are, how willing, what's their attitude? And I, this comes from some historical perspective of my own. About 20 years ago, I was at a company where we did a survey and it wasn't a survey of our enterprise customers. <clears throat> it was a survey of their users. And so we asked them, one of the questions was about if your endpoint, if your laptop, company issued laptop was to become infected, how responsible do you feel? And it was really an interesting one because um, it went everywhere from, you know, a fairly high number of users in Asia would have felt like they had somehow failed their company if their machine became, you know, infected. Um, it went down to kind of a little more of a mediocre response. Some people were worried. Some people weren't in Europe and Middle East. You got to North America and it was like, well, it shouldn't have gotten to my machine in the first place. You know, those, that IT, they should have protected me. You know, they had no sense of responsibility at all. Now, again, that's 20 years ago. How are you feeling the attitude of people? It seems a lot different to me, but I wanted to hear from you. I, I think it's it's changing. I, I also think, and you point this out, there's a geographic element to this, cultural, but there's also this age differential. I think, you know, the, the folks that are probably a, a little more older, like myself, um, are, are listening and, and trying to comply and pay attention and understand what's going on. Um, although that's that's a mixed bag too, depending on your industry. Um, but the the kids, um, these these social platforms and and engagement platforms are part of their lifestyle, and so uh, I, I do think there is a different attitude, if you will, around what that means. And I, and sometimes I think that comes with a how can it possibly hurt me and 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 maybe not uh, some some insight into the potential ramifications or risk for for these things I mentioned before, like the, the the social engineering that goes on on some of the platforms around. Hey, take this quiz. You're really unlocking information that can help unlock elements of your future passwords, for example. Ed, what's the kind of the attitude on your the programs you're putting in place as the CISO? I mean, are they more acceptable of that? Are they a lot of pushback? You know, that's that's really an evolving question and answer. I've seen it really change over time. Um, back in the old days, right, we really had two separate devices, right? Said, hey, this is your work machine. You only do work there. Um, and if you need to go look at your email or do something different, then you really need to do that on your personal device, right? Um, whereas now we have kind of a fair use policy, most companies do, where it's okay to do a little bit of limited surfing or something. Um, you know, a lot of people, salespeople in this company, right? They're they're traveling. They don't want to bring two laptops. They don't want to have two phones. Uh, so there's there's kind of a an intermix of of requirements and what people want to do, need to do when they're when they're traveling and so forth. So um, there's a bit of give and take between IT and the user population, but you know, it's it's a conversation, right? So it you know, as long as it it doesn't introduce uh, a lot of risk to the company, we're okay with that. Um, and we do, you know, when we give you a machine, we do our very best to make sure it's patched, that it has security controls on it, that we're monitoring it for malware, that sort of thing. So we can't do that, obviously, on your home machine. So we, we try to advise our users to really do your work on your work machine and do your personal stuff on your personal machine. But there, there's always this kind of fuzzy line. And and with phones, it's, it's also really changed, right? Um, uh, back when the first PDAs came out, 
15, 20 years ago, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't internet capable. It was just a device like a, a palm device that you had in your hand that you put your, um, your, your schedule in and so forth. But as, as capabilities have been added, it's, it's another computer. It's more capable than that computer that, you know, the company issued to you 15 years ago. It's got more CPU. It's got more memory. It's, it's always connected. Um, you, you, you know what that what that translates into is that you always need to be aware and that you always need to be constantly evaluating and you know in most companies people are looking at their email on their personal phone because companies don't want to issue company phones anymore because it's such a personal device right uh, because someone wants the the you know the new iPhone came out yesterday i mean are they going to call IT and get a new one um, you know some people prefer the uh, the the note or the phone that opens up and has a fold in the middle and it's double the size. I mean, IT isn't going to keep on top of all those trends and so forth. Um, so there's there's a bit of give and take there. And you just need to make sure that, you know, if you have any company data, even a scrap of it on a personal device, so you just need to be aware and, and, and treat it responsibly. Yeah, the standard lifetime of, you know, your laptops is about three years. And that's, you know, the normal replacement cycle. That's ancient in cell phone years. I mean, you can't... You can't last it that long. So, yeah, I can imagine just the management overhead on on uh, on BYOD kind of devices would be a be a nightmare. Um, and it has gotten easier, you know, from as the and on the end user side of thing, I can say it, it is easier to have just the one device and be able to do uh, everything I need to on that one device because I used to carry two. Actually, I used to carry three because I had two phones and I had a pager. Um, uh, if anybody remembers those, so. No, I think, uh, you know, that the users, again, because they've also gotten so much technology, I think that's also helped elevate their capabilities. But now that we've talked a little bit about the user capabilities and we've kind of inferred, you know, and, and we don't really need to go into the detail too much on the technical capabilities to defend the endpoint. I'd like to talk about the threat side of things. So, um, you know, what are the what are the top of mind threats? We talked about phishing, number one, you know, because uh, you depend on your statistics, 90% of all, all attacks um, start with a phishing email, if not a phishing website. And I don't know if we want to talk about phishing email still, or maybe even talk about the phishing from the website, drive by infections and things like that. You know, what are, what are your top of mind fears of, of a type of threat that you're worried that could get back, uh, get past your user? Well, we talked a little bit about phishing, so that that's really a primary vector, right? Um, so moving beyond that, um, historically, uh, in the early days, you, the attackers would send in a, a malicious attachment and and try to get the end user to click on that and and uh, infect their machine and establish a foothold and then move laterally. That's kind of a traditional attack. Uh, method that we've seen over the years. Um, more recently, uh, attackers have tried to move beyond that by sending URLs. Uh, so uh, what the uh, technology side has done is they've uh, checked these URLs to make sure that they're good or bad. They go to a bad website and uh, they will block them, right? Um, and we've implemented technology to, to, to prevent that sort of an attack. But goes back and forth, right? So the attackers recognize that uh, we're doing this. So what they do is they'll send out a blank URL 
and that URL will go nowhere or go to just a completely benign website. And then they'll load the malware later on, right? So where, where the malware lives, that's changed, right? But still, email is, is, is a primary vector. Um, just surfing around, you'll see all kinds of links out there, right? Be suspicious of those. On the forums and so forth, you see like a bit.ly link. Where do you think that goes, right? You don't even know. You click on that, it's, it's just a link, right? Um, so when those links come to you in email or you see them out there in the wild, uh, just be suspicious of that. And we used to always advise people, um, you know, people would call you up and say, hey, you know, we want to validate this, uh, uh, this uh, transaction on your credit card, right? Um, and then they'd start asking you a bunch of personal information. And that's, that's an attack. Um, your, your bank should never do that. Um, I would hang up the phone and call the 800 number on the back of your credit card. And sometimes they, they'll leave you a voicemail um, with an 800 number, which isn't the 800 number on the back of the credit card. And I'll call them up and I'll lecture them on that because that's just bad security practice, right? So it's, it's about trust and, and looking at these links. I mean, again, on the technology side, we do a lot. We, and we're continuously evaluating new technologies and rolling them out, right? So we have uh, DNS security. Uh, checking to make sure that those websites aren't malicious and will prevent you from going there if they are. Um, we we uh, we have all kinds of technologies looking at the email and blocking known bad senders or if there's malicious pay- payloads or URLs and so forth. We can proxy these things. If we see that they go bad, we'll call you up. Um, so there, that, that's the user side of thing things. Um, there's there's also a lot that we we do on the back end, and and the other thing that I'd mention is that patching is incredibly important. And I know it's 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 a pain, right? Um, we just went through a a, a, a thing with my uh, uh, my cell phone <laughs> iOS provider, right? Um, where you know there was a, a security attack and there was a patch deployed and. IT sent out some uh, advice to users to go patch because we don't manage those devices. So users have to take the time to download the patch and apply it and reboot. It takes time out of their day, but it's important because um, if you don't do that and also reboot, the patch doesn't take and you're vulnerable, right? And some of these zero days attacks, you don't, you don't have, they, they, they could actually be uh, actively exploited out there. And we only find out about it days or potentially weeks after the fact. So your, your window to react to these things is small and getting smaller, honestly. Well, and I remember right. when um, a lot of the, you know, when we first started getting cloud connected um, updates, because updates didn't, I mean, we started with email. That was the main reason people use the cloud. Then we, when we started doing other things on it. Um, people started writing their apps or vendors started writing their apps so they could get updates. And they used to allow you to just download the security update, not the new feature update. But you know that's where the, the frustration comes in is if it's just a security update, those tend to be rather painless, short and sweet. But now you have these massive updates and okay, I now feel more secure. And now my menu has changed on my favorite app and I got to figure out how to use it again. And that's where the frustration comes in. It's not the the security thing that frustrates people, it's all the other things that are now that come out with those updates. So, um, you know, you mentioned iOS, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. you know, I had a whole bunch of security updates. I had them automatic, not a problem. And then when 15 came out, I got that update and it's like, okay, it is more than security. I got a whole new interface I got to figure out. 
you know, and I was one of those people where certain features stopped working. <laughs> so I had the same, I had a similar experience, but it's, it's a good differentiation to keep in mind. Security update, typically we're just going to fix something, right? So iOS 14.8. And then when 15 came out, people installed that and that was a feature update and that um, broke a bunch of stuff, right? So historically and you had the subsequent patch after that right <laughs> yeah 1501 right yeah. but but i mean you know for for us that have been in it for a long time you 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 really want to kind of steer clear of that dot zero zero release that big feature update let somebody else go first right but not for the security stuff those are usually relatively small updates quick download quick reboot and they protect you for that just that one thing right and those typically don't i mean there have been exceptions but those typically don't disrupt your device it's those feature updates that you might want to delay for a little while well and then to underscore that um i was just going to say that they the 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 you used to update it because there was a potential for things to be exploited every now and then there would a patch that said oh this is for a currently in the wild attack that's using this exploit so you want to patch this but most of them were preventative but in the last year or so it's like almost every patch i'm offered whether it's for my browser or my phone or whatever it's because there's something being used there's an attack in the world in the world right now zero day attack using this this vulnerability you got to patch it because there's a an actual threat not just a potential threat so the reason to patch has has definitely gone up a few uh levels brad you were going to say something there a, a, a couple of things. Well, related to that, you know, un unfortunately, um, the world is being enabled by bad actors who have put, you know, software kits out there that let the average person go experiment as a, as a hobby. So you're seeing a, a, an increased frequency uh, that's backed by, you know, folks who know what they're doing, building these these toolkits um, and then being exploited by sort of hobbyists, we'll call it, unfortunately. So that's that's driving some of this. Uh, but I, I did want to comment. Ed had mentioned because I've got a personal experience, quite a few of these, unfortunately, around texting. You know, I get texts from my bank saying there's some malicious activity in my account, you know, click here. And I look at the URL, of course, I didn't click. I call the bank immediately. And of course, they ask me to report it because it's not real. But I am getting a ton of these things and I never respond to them. It, it used to be you know, the bank's never going to uh, send you a, a voicemail or call you and things like that. But, you know, uh, texting, you don't really think think that it's a potential vector, but but I think it's growing, and uh, I've definitely experienced it. I don't respond at all to those kinds of things. Yeah, my tip uh, for people when they talk to me about that is install the apps because, like, I just got one of those uh, two days ago, and it pretended to be from UPS. I was expecting a UPS package. I'd actually gotten a notice on my signature, even though I've had like three of these same things delivered. This one they insisted had to be signed for, and so they didn't leave it. So they left the note. So I was expecting something. And also I get this text about, hey, to, you know, something about to get this more quickly, check here. But I don't click on the links. I go to the app because if it was in the, if they're going to send me a text, the app has the same information in it. And that's a trusted source. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that whole text, the SMS stuff. It's not just SIM swapping people. It's links in any form. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, the, the frequency is in, in increasing. So um, pay attention. Well, and, and on that note, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to about the middle of, of the agenda that we, we discussed when we were planning out this episode and, and talk about that mix of consumer, because that was a personal purchase. But I was 
course, responding to it on my phone, which is something I use for corporate and, and personal use. Um, and there was even, you know, a request to go check this website out because sometimes the websites, they don't show you what you want on your phone. You have to actually go to it in your browser to get it. And I've seen some malicious actors where they'll create fake websites that they aren't working properly on your phone. And it'll actually tell you, this is how I, I mean, this is number one clue when it says, Hey, and if this isn't displaying right, try it on your computer. <laughs> You know, um, I haven't had a legitimate company ever tell me that and admit their app may not be working properly. You know, um, you know, they always say, no, it works just fine. But, you know, we've got that bridge now where consumer threats can pose a risk to the corporate or if you're in the government agency, the enterprise network can actually now be exposed to consumer risk. And that's going to be a big deal over the next few months if we get the holiday. Can you want to share anything on that, Ed, in particular? What's your worry as we get to the holiday season and all that consumer stuff is going to happen on your network? Yeah. You know, tr traditionally we send out an email right for the holiday season and remind people that there are all these scams, but it's, it's not just a seasonal thing anymore, right? Um, so the, the attackers will take uh, advantage of whatever excuse um, they can come up with, right? So if it's the holiday season, they'll be sending you some incredible deal on a on a flat screen TV if you just click now, right? So you know the too good to be true deals, the uh, the links that you know go to some untrustworthy website. It's all it's kind of more of the same, right? Uh, you just need to be aware. And you know around COVID. Uh, we've seen uh, all kinds of, at the beginning of COVID especially, there were huge spikes and, oh, here's some information that you didn't know about COVID, right? Click here. Um, or you can get a free test kit, click here, right? So they'll, they'll use whatever excuse, whatever the um, news du jour is to try to lure you in, right? So, yeah, it's, there's always some heightened concern around the holiday season, but I say, you know, all year round. Well, you, you bring up a good good point, and in, in, in it um, it reminds me of the, the whole challenge around BYOD at work too. This confluence between consumer and corporate. You you know, we as as Ed mentioned, we we control the asset piece, the the PC or the or the Apple, and we put patches on it. And we monitor that, but your cell phone not so much because people consider that sort of intrusive to do that on your personal device. Yet they have access to your point, Bob. They have access to both corporate and social, and those things on that device get intermixed all the time. We can control it much easy, easier um, on, on the corporate side with uh, multi-factor auth and, 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 and encryption and all sorts of things. But on the, on the social side, there's that bridge that has to be or can be linked and that becomes uh, an interaction to be careful with. Uh, but one thing's really clear is that this, this edge is moving closer and closer to the end user. That end user uh, must be secure. The device must be secure and locked down, and the access points from end to end need to be locked down. And so, um, you know, you've got you've got the interaction of the social side with the with the social networks and platforms and the and the uh, gaming consoles and all those things going on, and and that can be accessed on your cell phone, the same cell phone again that you're using for your your corporate side. And so you can use these things to exploit. Um, and, and again, it's it's it can be higher risk, which makes the BYOD policy components of the corporate versus the commercial side um, 
a balancing act, as, as Ed had mentioned there. And, and um, you know, you, you can balance towards a more secure enterprise, but it's going to be the, at the expense of that flexibility if you're not going to issue a corporate phone, for example, for that, for that endpoint. So there's always this, this, this balance that Ed talked about between the two that need to be managed carefully, depending on the environment and, and the type of work that folks are doing. Okay. Yeah, I would say um, that, you know, the corporation's objectives in this area aren't any different than the end user's ob objectives, really. Um, you don't want to be compromised and lose your banking information, and, and the company doesn't want to have our data exposed either, right? So there's a mutual benefit to making sure that at least kind of those baseline security things are, are taken care of across the board, you know, whether that's on your your personal PC or your phone, right? So if you leave your phone around and you don't have any pin on it at all, you leave it in an Uber and someone picks it up, um, you know, they could possibly see your personal information as well as the company's information. So we both lose there, right? Um, and even simple things like on your on your home PC, if you have no password on it, um, if someone is able to compromise you, then that gives them kind of unlimited access. If you have like a local password on it, at least they have to go figure that out. That's an additional hurdle they have to jump through. So oh, anything you can do, even if it's just minimal, you know, maybe you don't patch every day, but, you know, you, you, you patch once a month. Microsoft releases patches on a monthly cadence, by the way. So you should be able to get away with it month, once a month. Um, just set it on automatic and, and, and forget it, right? Yeah. But reboot your PC because a lot of times these, these uh, patches don't take unless you take the time to do that. Some people don't. Yeah. Some, sleep is not the same as rebooting. Some people will <laughs> sleep their machine for six months. And, you know, again, here's another example of something that benefits you from a, just a day-to-day -day perspective. If you don't reboot your machine for six months, it's just going to get slower and slower and slower and slower. So rebooting it cleans out the memory and all that. So you, you get some performance benefit as well as being secure. Yeah, and allows the security updates and patching to actually complete the process, which kind of leads us to the next thing. That's actually, you know, as I think about it, I've, I have, uh, I, I've for years been tracking a lot of user education, user awareness training modules and all the different things they talk about. And Ed, that's something I don't think I've seen anybody talk about is that just good PC practices and how that will help your security better. If you just learn to you know, reboot at least once a week, something like that, you know, shut it down for the weekend or something. Those kinds of things would help. Um, and, and that's something that I don't think I've ever seen training on. But you also mentioned that, you know, like right before the holidays, you send out an email. Um, Brad, you mentioned that, you know, the phishing testing. So you guys have a variety of user education tools, um, user awareness tools. So, um, I'm curious about what you've done to make it successful. So truth in lending to the listeners, I am also a Infoblox um, user. And one thing I've noticed in the company is that there, there doesn't seem to be any resentment around things like the phishing testing. And everybody, everywhere else I've been, a uh, few companies that I've been at where they've sold those kinds of services, you know, they OEM it, but, you know, because they're actually doing other true security products, but they also sell their OEM security awareness. There's always been user pushback. They think, oh, you're just trying, you know, it's IT trying to pass the blame to us. So if there's a breach, you know, we'll be able to blame the user because look at their tests. They failed the phishing exam five times in a row or something. Um, how are you making that so positive of an experience? Well, the first thing is, it just has to be blameless, right? 
it just has to be seen as an as, as a part of an educational program. And you, ha you have to have a multi-aspect approach to user education. So, you know, it's fine to send people to an annual training. Everybody does that. It's usually part of the compliance program. On that, try to vary that, make it interesting. Don't send the same thing out every year. Um, maybe have a quiz to make sure people are paying attention. So that's kind of the best you can do there. But, you know, we also have uh, uh, October, which we're just starting here, is uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Send out some emails around that time. Send out some emails around Christmas, reminding them then. You know, if some event happens like COVID, remind them that, you know, to expect phishing emails around that. Um, you know, there are all, all kinds of uh, opportunities, shall we say, to, to just put user awareness out there, have an intranet website with some how to spot a fish education and so forth. Um, take time on one-on-ones, uh, send out emails from the CISO, um, from the CIO, from the, your CEO. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll get a great response from your CEO because everybody is interested in what he thinks and what he has to say, right? Engage the executives, have them sponsor your program. Um, think about what more you can do. And it takes time. It takes time um, and effort, but invest that time and effort. Cool. Now, the thing that, that occurred to me also is I noticed that when I've been in meetings, uh, two things that I've I, that have stood out to me. Number one, when I've been in meetings where we're talking about, you know, hey, it's coming up on on, on the end of the year. Um, you're going to be setting your goals and stuff like that. Um, they actually mentioned, you know, that you know there may be things you want to learn about security. It doesn't have to be directly related to your job. Just knowing more about security makes you a better employee. You know, there there's been encouragement for people to go and learn more. Um, but also, you know, every year, because I'm with a vendor, every year we have to take this test that says, do you understand how export law works? And I have to take a watch some videos and take and answer some questions. And then there's something else about sexual harassment training. And I watch some videos and I take some tests. And portions of your awareness training are just another one of those things. So it's not like it's a special thing. It's just part of all the different kinds of corporate training. You guys have, have done a great job of working this into just another process of being a good citizen of the company kind of a thing. So Brad, it, it, was that intentional or? Very much so. Um, and, and Ed feels really strongly about this because he developed the program. So um, I, I think you, Ed mentioned, you know, your, your job is, it, you know, is, is, is really important. And so you have a responsibility towards your uh, employees in the company, your coworkers, and just as a company in general, you know, when you, when you're driving a car, you wear a seatbelt, it's the same kind of thing. And so we, we have to engage our employee base through all these different modalities that Ed mentioned to get the word out, to make sure that everybody understands this is not something that's passive anymore. We all have to be active in our approach to, to helping reduce risk in the company around security. Great. Now we uh, still had a great little topic that we'd hope to get to on zero trust, but we're running out of time. Um, we'll uh, hopefully be able to get the two of you, um, you know, very, very grateful that you could give us the time you could today. Um, but um, yeah, we've run out of time before we ran out of things to say. So Brad, Ed, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Ed, for joining. Appreciate everybody's time. Yep. Yeah, thanks. 
All right. And I want to thank you, all of our listeners and viewers, for your time, because we'd like you to join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk. <laughs>